Welcome to Desert City Church's podcast. Thanks for listening in. What you are about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We are a new church serving neighborhoods on the edge of North Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona. Our sermons are ongoing conversations around a sacred text or scripture in which we find the story of Jesus. We hope they inspire you to love God and others more. If we can serve you in any way or answer any questions about our community, please don't hesitate to ask. You can find out more info at DesertCityChurch.com. We're in a series right now uh, called Extremely Emotional. We're talking about emotions. And we're looking uh, at the Psalms of Lament found in the Old Testament. We're looking at Lamentations and then some of the Psalms. And as we were kind of like planning out this series, uh, the emotion that came up for today was anger. And I said I'd talk about it this week, but I was thinking like this is Baptism Sunday and it's time of celebration, and that's a pretty heavy talk on anger. And so I decided to switch it last night to something else. <laughs> so it's been about, um, usually when I, I do a sermon, uh, by the time it's done, there's been like 30 hours put into it. Today's sermon has about three. <laughs> So, I, yeah, I don't know where, how it's going to turn out, but, um, no, I want to talk today about uh, another emotion, and uh, the emotion is joy, um, and, and it's joy uh, that we experience uh, in all circumstances in life, and it's, joy is deeper than happiness. I think we have a definition of joy. Joy is a feeling of great happiness, um, but it's, it's more than happiness, but it but part of it is experiencing happiness. It's, it's a, there's a depth to this emotion. We look at some of the, uh, the synonyms for this word, jubilation. I love some of these synonyms, synonyms for joy. Triumph, exultation, exuberance. That's a great word, exuberance. No one ever says, like, how do you feel today? There's just this great exuberance in my soul. Like, no one ever talks. Yeah, infelicity. Yeah, the great, great synonyms for this word, joy. Um, but what we find is that, that joy is it's a fruit of God's presence. Apostle Paul calls it a fruit of the Spirit. Like This is something that as we spend time with God in relationship with him, as we experience him, uh, a fruit of that is joy, this, this, uh, this deep happiness. Um, joy is not based on circumstances. And that's, that's probably how it's different than happiness. Usually we're happy if our circumstances are, are right. There's something in our life that's making us happy. Scripture talks about joy as having nothing to do with circumstances. You can actually be in really difficult circumstances and still experience the joy that is a fruit of the Spirit. And I think it's important to talk about today as we celebrate baptism, because I wanted to talk a little bit about the baptism story in Scripture. And as you look at the narrative of Scripture and what God's doing in this world through our lives, uh, there's, there's a couple key themes. One is uh, the story of Scripture uh, is about life and death and then life after death. Scripture has a lot to say about life and death and life after death. And as we talk about baptism, uh, baptism is this sim- symbolic outward expression of this progression of life, death, and life after death. And so when you see someone go into the water, they pass into the water and they come back out, it's symbolic of new life that is found in Christ. We believe it, it changes life for eternity. So life, death, and life after death. The second theme that's found throughout Scripture is life, slavery, and deliverance. Life, 
slavery, and deliverance. And so this understanding of what God is up to in this world, as he meets us in our life, he walks with us through the things that enslave us, the things that destroy us, and then he transforms them. He delivers us from that. He gives us new life. That's life eternal. This story starts for the people of God way back in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus. And I want to turn to that right now. Very familiar story for most of you. Uh, even if you didn't grow up around the church, Hollywood's done a great job with Charlton Heston uh, telling the story. But the story of Exodus, God's people are in Egypt. And as they go to Egypt, all that takes place in the book of Genesis, and they end up landing in Egypt. Let's start in Exodus 1, verse 6. It says, Now Joseph, it's a key figure, Now Joseph and all of his brothers and all that generation died. So it's kind of a depressing thought, right? This person that was a key figure in Genesis is now dead. All of his brothers are dead. But the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly because they went to Desert City Church. <laughs> Lots of babies. Okay, yes, the Israelites were fruitful, multiplied greatly, and they became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. And then a new king, a new king who did not know about Joseph and his story, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said, look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom, Pithom, I don't speak Egyptian, I don't know how to pronounce that. I think it's Pithom. Uh, and Ramses, as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they were multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and work them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard work and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. And all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. So we find God's people they're in Egypt, and all of a sudden, they're enslaved by this, this new ruler, this new oppressor. It says that the Egyptians work them ruthlessly. Uh, we know uh, that their day consisted of uh, building bricks, whether it's building pyramids or, or huge buildings. We're not exactly sure, but they'd wake up in the morning, they'd build bricks all day, and then they'd go to sleep at night. They didn't have a day off. They didn't have a Sabbath. Um, their, their lives had uh, really kind of no rhythm other than work, work, work. Very oppressive. As they started to grow, the Egyptians uh, tried to manage their population. And so we know that they, they go through a couple of these waves where they would just, if you, if you uh, were, were Hebrew and you had a baby boy, uh, they, would, they would kill the boy. And we see that in the story when Moses comes onto the scene. And it's an extremely difficult life. They're enslaved to the Egyptians. Very oppressive power. Um, and we know that they're, they're in slavery for something like 400 years. God's people, God's chosen ones, the favored ones, enslaved for 400 years. And they cry out to God to free them. They cry out to God to deliver them. They cry out to God uh, to break their yoke of the slavery. And then finally, in Exodus 3, verse 7, uh, Moses and God have this conversation. Some of us know this story. I'm kind of summarizing it. But Moses runs into God at the burning bush. He's wanting to free his people. 
Verse 7 says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them. God hears them in their oppression. Hears them in their slavery, and he says, I'm going to do something about this. And this saga unfolds uh, with the different plagues that come, where basically God is breaking his people free from the oppressive Egyptians. And as finally they're allowed to leave Egypt, uh, they, they pack up everything, their entire nation of people, and they leave Egypt. And as they're leaving Egypt, after everything unfolds with all the plagues, um, they're making their way to the promised land. And as they're on their way, uh, one of the places they camp out is the Red Sea, this massive sea. Um, and they're on the banks of it. The Egyptians change their mind. They decide, we don't want the Israelites to go. Um, whatever it takes to keep them around. Uh, they're good for our economy. They're good. We can oppress them. They build things for us. And uh, so they decide to go after them. And we know like this chase takes place. The Israelites are trapped at the Red Sea. And this is where Charlton Heston steps in, right? We have this uh, God delivering them, and he makes a way by parting the waters, and God's people go through the waters of the Red Sea. And as they go through, we know that Moses stretches out his hand, stretches out his arm, and then the Egyptians start to follow him. And in verse 26 of chapter 14 of Exodus, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hands over the sea so that the waters they flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place, and the Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. We have this scene of all of the things that are oppressing God's people are swept into the sea. The water crashes around them, and the Israelites emerge through the sea free. God sets them free of the things that oppress them. And if you could imagine what that would be like to be in that scene, I mean, we have images from Hollywood, right, of trying to portray what that would be like. But to be on the dry land on the other side of the Red Sea and to look back and to see all the things that have oppressed you wiped out, gone. Can't imagine what that would feel like after living that way, enslaved for so long. There's this unbelievable joy that comes. And one of the first things they do is they break out in a song. There's a song by Moses and Miriam. And as we've talked about these songs of lament, they all tend to end with this joyous, uh, they, they all end hopeful and joyfully. And this is the song that they sing when they emerge from the Red Sea. Exodus 15, 1 says, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My Father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army, have, he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers, he has drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. And then verse 11, it says, Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretched out your hand, and the earth swallowed them. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. 
this unbelievable exclamation of joy. God sets people free of things that enslave them. And there's this joy that's in response to what God does. And we consider joy today. Uh, the language of what happened in the story starts to get picked up in the New Testament. And they start talking about another kind of exodus that's happening. And God's people have realized, you know, we, we get enslaved by these political powers here and now. And it happens where they come in, they conquer us, God frees us, they conquer us, God frees us. But there's something deeper happening here. There's, they believe that their, their lives, there's, there's this eternal aspect to their life. There's something in their soul that's also enslaved in this world. And God's setting them free of the things that enslave their soul. And when Jesus comes onto the scene, they start to retell the story of Exodus through this different lens of the eternal kingdom of God. And Jesus starts to talk about this idea how the same way God set his people free from the enslaving Egyptians, Christ is setting us free from these forces in our life that seek to destroy us. These evil forces in this world. We use language where we talk about how it's our own pride, it's our own sin. There's forces that oppress us, whether it's things that cause us to be addicted. All sorts of things enslave us. And Jesus comes and he delivers us and we find life eternal. We walk through the Red Sea, we come out on the other side, and we have freedom. We're redeemed, we're saved from separation from God, from things that enslave us and cause destruction, which allows us to be joyful. And today, as we talk about this idea of baptism, we're baptizing three people today who have experienced this story. They've said, I'm trusting that God is delivering me from the things that enslave me. And that has eternal implications. And we do this thing that's symbolic, where they pass into the water and they come back out. And there's freedom. There's life eternal. And it's symbolic. It's this outward expression of something that's happened internally in their heart. This new exodus. Where God has redeemed them from the things that enslave them. There's something to be joyful about when we consider this story. Um, a couple of things. One, to make this decision to be baptized requires surrender. You've basically said all of the ways that I've tried to find freedom myself, all of the things that I've tried to put my worth in, all the ways that I've tried to uh, become free um, don't pan out. And so I'm surrendering to one who can do it for me, and that's Jesus. So surrender is required. I love what this old pastor, Charles Stanley, says about this. He says, God takes full responsibility for a life wholly devoted to him. And to be a follower of Jesus requires surrender and sacrifice. It's kind of different words for our culture, surrender and sacrifice. But you're giving your life and surrender to God. And then trusting that God takes care of you. So to experience this joy uh, requires surrender. The second thing is that uh, this joy comes about when we think of our salvation, that we get to experience life eternal freedom. And you can imagine what the Hebrews felt on the banks of the Red Sea when they realized that the Egyptians were gone. There was this unbelievable joy. 
inside of them. Some of you have experienced that before. And what you find is that as you continue to live life, uh, that joy, there's so many distractions in this world, there's so many things that happen, uh, that joy starts to just kind of subside. You start going through the motions. The psalmist had this prayer considering joy in Psalm 51, and I want to end with this. It says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So today, we celebrate with those uh, who've decided to follow Jesus. They've made the surrender. But then we're also reminded of the joy of that salvation. Um, we have a bunch of weddings at the church this year. I think there's four of them. And as I've been meeting with these young couples, we've been talking about like uh, the vows, the vows that they make at the wedding. And some couples like to write their own, some like to use traditional vows. But one of the things that I've found when couples use traditional vows at wedding, weddings, for those of you who've been married, anytime you go to a wedding, you hear these vows again. And there's a, there's a cadence to them, but there's a reminder. There's something nostalgic about hearing those vows that reminds you of the decision that you made when you got married. And it does something inside of you, right? It stirs up this memory. And today when we celebrate baptism, some of you have lost your joy. Some of you need to just be reminded of the joy of your salvation. There's something nostalgic that happens when we celebrate and witness the baptism together. Some of you have never experienced that before. And you're living a life that is enslaved. You're living a life that you're striving. Uh, and we want to ask you to consider what surrender looks like. That this God, whose love is eternal and compassionate and unconditional, wants to set you free. And our ask today is that as you see this, you would just consider what's happening and open your heart to God. So in a few moments, we're going to move uh, to, the, to the back of the building, go out the doors and watch this. But before that, uh, we're going to take communion. Tim's going to come up and lead us through a time of communion. Communion represents the story of life and slavery and deliverance. It represents the story of life and death and life after death. And we believe that life eternal comes uh, because Christ died on the cross. He absorbs the consequences of our brokenness and sin and offers us life eternal. And that's the story that we're all a part of. And so today, as we go to communion, a couple things to reflect on. Uh, what does it mean to surrender? What does it mean to entrust your life to God? Maybe it's something that you've never done, or maybe there's certain things in your life that still need to be surrendered and trust to the God whose love is unconditional. And maybe you need to return uh, to God today, that you need to allow him to restore you the joy of your salvation a joy that is the fruit of God's spirit that you get from experiencing him. Maybe today you need to just ask that he would restore that joy. But we remember today, as we head to communion, we surrender and we ask God to restore us. And then I'll dismiss us to go to baptism. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you so much for this amazing story of Scripture, this story of your love for us. Lord, you're this cosmic, majestic being, this creator who's sovereign. And yet you meet us on a personal level. You look into our heart and to our soul, and you care about us. You hear our cry when we're oppressed. You set us free from the things that enslave us. Lord, you offer us life eternal. Today, Lord, I pray that you would stir in our hearts. Today, as we do these things that are symbolic, you would remind us of the story that we're a part of. As we celebrate baptism, Lord, we ask for your blessing. We give you this time. In your sense, and we pray. Amen.